0: Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 7, verse 25. Is anyone thirsty? Is anyone thirsty? If you've read this passage before, you know where we're going today. We're going to talk about Jesus calling out to the crowd. Is anyone thirsty? Speaking about spiritually being filled with the Holy Spirit. In our first services, we are going through the book of John verse by verse. Turn with me to verse 25 and look at your neighbor and say, you thirsty? (laughs) You thirsty, sister? You sister or brother? Come on. I'm thirsty for the Lord. I'm not thirsting after anything else. I'm thirsting for Jesus. And how many know he satisfies every time? I normally don't make these promotionals for the shirts that we got out, but just because you might only be seeing the front, I got to show you the back. It says when Satan attacks, the lion's got my back. So I just don't want to leave you guys guessing because, you know, you'll be looking at the front all day, and then it says King of Kings and Lord of Lords, just putting that out there. Amen. How many know he's the King of Kings? Lord of Lords. There's only one. We know him. Hallelujah. Son of God. Son of man. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful, man. I could just talk about that video. I'm trying to help myself because I could go back and preach on that. It was so amazing seeing everybody out there. Thank you again. Thank you for being faithful to the call on, God's, uh, the call on your life that God has given you. That's how we're going to build our church, amen? You know, we're thankful for those who come from other churches, those who church hop, but our focus is not church hoppers. Our focus is sinners, those who don't know the Lord, amen? Our biggest competition is not the church down the road, it's hell. We want to plunder hell and populate heaven, amen? I'm in competition with the devil, and Jesus wins every time. Also, did you know that we have in this house the maker of the best sandwich according to Chicago's Yelp Review. Did you know Nini's Deli got recognized? Come on, give it up for the best sandwich in Chicago. The best sandwich in Chicago. That's a big deal. Praise God. And you know the news couldn't help themselves because when they reported on it, they didn't talk anything about sandwiches. They had to talk everything about his beliefs. It's like I would pay you $100 if you can find three things that describe the sandwich in that article. You can't find nothing. But you should give me $100 for all the things I can find that you talk about there that have nothing to do with sandwiches. Homosexuality, heaven and hell and all that. Now here's what I feel about that. If you want to put him on blast, he's going to be the first one to let you do that because he's going to preach the gospel. Amen. So if... If you, if this is the way I look at it. If they asked him, they begged him, make Nini's about something other than just sandwiches. And he's like, I got you, fam. Say no more. Because when it was just about sandwiches, that's all he was about. He, he left them alone. But when they wanted to push and to shove, they got what they got now, a preacher that makes sandwiches. Amen? But you know, the, the, the world doesn't play fair. If it would have been anybody else's business that would have won the best sandwiches, they would have talked about the sandwiches. They would have talked about how nice it is. But when they talked about him, they had to talk about his religious worldview. And I think, Juan, you're okay with that, aren't you? It's like, thank you very much. Give me a platform to preach. Amen? Well, praise God. Check out those sandwiches. My favorite is the kitchen sink. I can only do it so often. Man, the other day I saved up my calories because Adam wanted to be there and I saved them up and I barely got it down. But it was good. John chapter 7, verse 25. Somebody say, Are you thirsty? Amen. Jesus has been in a debate with his brothers. He's been in a debate with the religious leaders. And now he's about ready to give them a lot more than what they asked for. And I thank God that he did it. He wasn't going to be intimidated by them. He is going to let them know his purpose and his plan for coming to the earth. And I thank God that he makes it so clear that even somebody like me can understand. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are going to or trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly and not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? So At some point, we see the Jewish people are leading the confusion. At other points, um, uh, the Jewish leaders, at other points, we see it's just the crowd. And so now you're going to see it go back and forth. The crowd is kind of turning on him and mocking him in some ways, and the Jewish leaders as well. So the crowd is basically like, hey... Aren't they supposed to arrest him? Shouldn't he be in trouble? Why is he out here just talking and doing whatever he wants? Have they changed their mind? Do they now think he's the Messiah? Verse 27, but we know where this man is from. Where When the Messiah comes, we will not know where he is from. Somebody say they're confused. Now, this is one of the things I want to get out in this passage, and because it's a long passage today, all the way to verse 52, I don't have uh, the ability to read the whole thing and then come back and comment. I have to comment as we're reading. What I want you to see right here is that confusion will always surround the naive. And they will use it as an excuse to not step into faith and belief. They'll say things like, religion, it's so confusing. I mean, you guys say this. These others say this. Uh, we, we don't know what's going on. And they'll then act like that is a safe position. And that if there were a God and there was a judgment to come, they could say on that day, I didn't know. There was too much confusion. How can you blame me? You see, naivety is not a spiritual gift, and it's not something you should want. Naivety can lead actually to foolishness and rebellion. What we see here is that they're confused. They're confused. The crowd is confused about what Jewish leaders believe, and they are confused about prophecies about the Messiah. The Jewish leaders have not changed their mind. They still hate Jesus. Somebody say they're haters. Okay, they're still haters, but these people are confused, but they've only heard so much, right? So, so it's almost like they're willingly ignorant, dumb on purpose. They're plain naive, but if they would have walked over and talked to a Jewish leader, a Jewish leader would have told them, no, we're trying to kill him. Just like when people say, Muslims, Christians, you guys all believe the same thing. No, we don't. Have you talked to us? <laughs> Uh, we both think each other's going to hell, seriously. And and sometimes even Muslims uh, are, you know like well-intending Muslims are trying to say like we're nicer than you. No, I'll show you in the Quran where they say you are the worst of all creatures. You're going to hell. You are a polytheist to them. Okay, the real Muslims who believe real Islam will tell you exactly what it teaches. Okay. So have you talked to them? Have you talked to the Jewish leaders? you confuse people? No, no, no. We're just just confused and we're going to stay confused. And then when it comes to Jesus, they're confused because they're like, isn't there a prophecy somewhere that says when the Messiah comes, you won't know where he comes from? And it's like, no, it doesn't say that in the Bible. There's nowhere it says that in the Bible, but this is some type of a Jewish myth that they believed at this time. If you take one step to God, God will take one step to you. Like a myth. Hello, somebody. You ever heard these kind of myths in Christianity? People believe them. So they are confused. They haven't talked to Jewish leaders. They don't know what Jewish leaders believe. So they're not really being true to their synagogue. They're not being true to their rabbi. They're not being true to Jesus because they're trying to get away from accepting Jesus as a Messiah based on wives' tales. Turn with me to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. The Bible clearly says where he will come from, the Messiah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, also mentioned in our gospels, says, But you, where does it say next after that? Bethlehem. Everybody say Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Thank you. This is a prophecy before Jesus. But you, Bethlehem, Apothecary, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here in Micah, it says, When this one comes to Bethlehem, his origins, his beginnings will be of old, of ancient times. Of the Father, they know the Father is the ancient of days. The Son of Man comes from the same time of his Father. Can I hear an amen? Amen. From eternity past, before even creation. So going back to John, did they ask Jesus where he was from? No, they don't ask the Jewish leaders what they really think about him, and they're not asking Jesus, Jesus, where were you born? And if you notice, both of these groups have made their positions, or I should say Jesus and the Jewish leaders have staked their positions, and the people are now between them, and they're staying dumb on purpose. I want to really emphasize this that so often you and I will see this in our communication with people, and they'll try to act like everything is confusing, that there is no way to come to the truth, that all y'all say the same thing or a little bit different, or you know what, can't we all just get along? And they are not putting in the time and the work they need to do. If you asked me right now, you know, Joe what do you think about biology? You know, what do you think about it? I would say, well, I don't know much about it. And then if you said, well, do you think the study of the knees is the same as the study of the elbows? I would say, well, I don't know. I don't really know. But how many know if yesterday, wakeboarding, I busted out my knee, I want to now know the study of knees? I'm not concerned about elbows. I want to go check out knees, right? Now, if an expert wants to tell me, whether well, they're the same, then let the expert tell me that. But if now I have a reason to get concerned about it, I'm going to put my time and effort to get knowledge. Everybody say knowledge. That's why the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. A neutral position is a rebellious position towards God. For those to remain neutral is to be rebellious. It's one thing now, like I said, not to care or know the difference between elbows and knees. It's another thing if I blew out my knee, I should care and want to know now. What is it like here, doctor? What's going on here? Is it the same to things that happen in the elbow? You know, I can now learn those things. But especially I need to know what an elbow, I mean, what a knee is and what surgeries are done. And I say that because where I go wakeboarding, the guy that's my age blew out his knee and now has a cadaver's knee. How many of you are uh, giving up your body to science after you die? Only some of you, I am. Uh, somebody's family member is being in my friend today. Thank God for medicine. Amen. I often talk to people and they think, well, I mean, I'm too busy to figure it out. What is more important than figuring out who Jesus is? What is more important than figuring out the claims of Christianity? I mean, let's just be honest about this. I understand we have to have food, we have to eat, we have to uh, provide for our family. But if Jesus is talking about himself, as he does in the scriptures, as being the only legitimate way that you and I can go to heaven, what other thing really is going to be more important than that? So that's why when I talk to them, I ask them, have you searched the scriptures? Have you gone to Bible studies? Have you taken times to study? Because if you don't, you're going to be held responsible for what you didn't do. The sins of omission, the thing you knew you ought to have done but didn't do. Not only will God judge us on the sins of commission, the ones that we commit by action, he will judge us on the sins we did not commit, the sins that we uh, should have avoided by doing something good. He'll judge us on sins of neutrality. The Bible says it like this, he who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Can I hear an amen? So I just want to say that there because so often in Christianity, we get so... you know, inundated with people's confusion that we think that this is going to be worked out on judgment to their favor, and it's not. And And I know for you and I, like, we do feel sorry for them because, you know, they can look at YouTube, and YouTube, everybody thinks they know something, right? How many know that? And you can go to Facebook University, and everybody seems to be an expert. Like, I have a guy right now who's never gone to Bible college challenging me on the words of hell. He doesn't believe in hell anymore, you know? And it's like, okay, you've never studied this, and you don't go to Bible college, but... Somebody over here on YouTube convinced you these words don't mean hell. So, this is the expert, not the ones who have been translating our Bibles, not the King James translators who used hell, etc. You see, so everybody will find their own expert. And I know we feel compassion for these people. But before I move on from this point, I want everyone to get this Jesus is not playing with them. If you notice, Jesus never comes out and says, hey guys. I heard you're confused about where I was born. I was born in Bethlehem, by the way, in case you didn't know. Jesus never does that. You know why? Because Jesus said to seek him. Isn't that what Jesus said? Seek and you shall find, ask and you shall be given, knock and the door shall be uh, opened for you. Jesus is not going out of his way to clear up their confusion when their confusion is based in their rebellion and in their idolatry of being neutral. They are idolizing the idea of neutrality. That's their God. Their God is neutral. Their God gets along with everyone. Their God doesn't take a stand. And of course, their God won't judge. And we can say back to them, Amen, your God will never judge because your God doesn't exist. The God of neutrality does not exist. The God of righteousness and who judges wickedness, that one exists. Verse 28, Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me and you know where I am from. Notice that he leaves it from Nazareth. He doesn't even clarify Bethlehem because they knew that he came from Nazareth as well. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Notice that language, he sent me. Jesus is always walking around with the divine prerogative that he has been sent here, that he has been given here, that Jesus has came here. That right there should have clued them into his divine nature. How did the disciples write the Gospels knowing how to fill in the blanks? Because they were the ones Jesus kept revealing these things to. That's how John could say, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. How would John know that? Because he had spent time with Jesus. How would Matthew in 2.23 be able to apply the prophecy of Bethlehem and the ruler from of ancient times to Jesus? How would we know in Isaiah, and let's go there please, Isaiah 11.1, 1, that netzar from branch would be nazareth and this would be how we would know he would be called a nazarene a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse and his roots a branch will from his roots a branch will bear fruit the spirit of the lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding help me lord the spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the lord he will delight in the fear of the lord how did The the people of the scriptures, the New Testament, and just show them in Matthew 2.23, please. How did they know to apply these things to Jesus? And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, talking about Jesus. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Now go back to that uh, prophecy there in Isaiah 11 and just see if you can touch on this uh, word branch right here. And this is where we get, uh, it's only going to show you in the Hebrew there, but that's where we get the word Nazareth from, netzar, meaning branch. How did they know to connect these things? Now the skeptic will say, oh, they were looking at Jesus' life after the fact, and he had already died or ran away with Mary and started having kids, you know, the da Vinci code here. And so uh, these disgruntled, upset Jews, uh, you know, they're disappointed in how everything turned out, you know, disheartened as well. They go back into Scripture, and they try to now make a bullseye that their Jesus can hit. So instead of, you know, if you're going out with your friends, you know, shooting at a target, instead of shooting the target first... They shoot, and then they put the target there. Does everybody see that? So you shoot the arrow. The arrow lands wherever it lands, and then you take your target, your bullseye. There it is. That's what the skeptics try to say the disciples are doing making these prophecies. Oh, he'll be from Bethlehem. Well, well, that's where he was born, so let's just say that's where he was born then, you know? That's a prophecy, but now we'll make that about Jesus. Oh, he's going to be called a Nazarene? Netzar's meaning branch. Let's now make that about Jesus. Let's let's not do what the scriptures say. Start with the scriptures and see if he fulfills it. Let's just now make up everything about the life of Jesus. We could get into a whole other discussion on how that is impossible, literally impossible. Everybody say impossible, according to the historical record. But my question would be, why would they be motivated to even do that? There were other people who claimed to be the Messiah, that had come into the Jewish people's lives and had failed? How many of you have been around long enough to hear about false Jesuses or false ends of the world prophecies? Are you now trying to cover up for them and make a religion out of them even though you know they were dead wrong? Why were these disciples so moved to not only tell the story of Jesus, but look back at all of these prophecies and attribute them to Jesus? Why would they take the time, if he was a loser, to take all these scriptures and try to prop him up? What do they gain, in other words? And I'm telling you, the skeptic has no answer. The Jewish Christian gets put out of the synagogue for believing this. Why would they do that for a loser? Because now they lose all of their historical uh, privilege and rights being in the synagogue and temple. And then they're now hated by the pagans, the Jews and the Greeks, because they're inserting a God that's greater than Caesar that has come in the flesh and died for their sins. The Jewish people were given an allowance to have their freedom as long as they didn't believe in a king, as long as they didn't try to establish a kingdom. But for them... Jesus is king of kings. So how do Christians benefit by getting disowned by the Jews, making this up, and being ostracized, fed to lions by the Roman pagan culture? It makes zero sense. The most logical thing is to take them at their word. What you see happening, going back to John, is you see Jesus explaining to the crowd why they don't get it. And the disciples will get it. We know at times they doubt and have their issues. But why they will get it, because here it is. If you don't know God, you won't know Jesus. But if you know God, you will know Jesus. And you will know that he has been sent. You will know that his prophecies go back unto the scriptures. Go to Daniel chapter 7 quickly, please. He has been sent, and he's going to go back, and he's going to mention that in this passage. So it's good that I go here now. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and onwards, Daniel sees a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus, one that is like the Son of Man, coming to the ancient of days. See this in verse 13. In my vision, this is something he's seen spiritually. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a what? Son of man. Did he look like a cherubim or a seraphim with many wings? What did he look like? He looked like a man. He looked like the son of a man. And what is he doing? He's coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. Remember, we heard about in Micah that he will come from Bethlehem. That's where he's going to come from when he's on earth. But his origins, his beginnings go back to ancient times. You see, the Bible talks about in Isaiah to us a child, excuse me, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. A child will be born. People will know where that child will be born at. They'll be able to see and touch and have interaction with this child. But the son, the identity will be given because the son will pre-exist the body of a child. Can I hear an amen? So he sees this vision, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Now watch this. As a Jew, just get this in your mind. They only serve one God. Hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one. All other gods are false gods. They're commanded to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Put no other gods before them, not even have an image of a God. Now listen to what a Jewish man sees in a vision. He was given authority, glory, and power, uh, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language. What him? What did they do for him? Yeah. Worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. How long does it last for? Forever. That will not pass away. Does it ever pass away? No. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Going back to John, Jesus is teaching these people who are confused, go back to God and then you'll know me. I want everyone to see this the naive person in our culture is worse off than the unreached people groups everybody get this the person that is naive in this culture has been given much and much will be required of them they have internet they have access to bible they have access to you and i the one talking to them when they're making those silly excuses and in their naivety they're doing nothing about it but yet go to acts chapter 17 Those who yet don't have preachers, those who yet don't have access in times past as well to the Bible and to these kinds of revelations. The uh, Apostle Paul in meeting with pagans and philosophers in Acts 17 addresses this issue and says that anyone who seeks after God, the creator, the one that they would know would be the reason for the cosmos, the first uncaused cause. God will reach out to them. Can I hear an amen? amen? Look at what it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 24. The God who made the earth and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Verse 25, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone. How many people? How many ones? Everyone, thank you, life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations, one race, the human race, that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. Verse 27, God did this so that they would what? Seek him. When I talk to people who ask me, what about the unreached people groups? I say they're better than you because they're seeking, you're not. Why are you even worried about them? I can almost guarantee you're going to hell, and I don't know their destination, but if they're seeking, I can say they can go to heaven. See, you're worse than the on the reach people group when you are in the presence of a preacher, when you are uh, in the presence of the word of God and his revelation, and are rejecting it, because God even made a plan for those that have not received all of the revelation. God did this. Did what? Put them in a place that they could recognize there is a creator so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. And then what would be the result of their seeking and reaching out? And what? Find him. Highlight find him, please. What would be the result of their seeking and their reaching? A finding, though he is not far from any of us. So now people say, Joe, do you believe in universalism? Absolutely not. I believe God makes a way for the gospel to come to those in dreams and visions who are seeking the God they do not know yet. And in our book, uh, in a textbook, Eternity in Their Hearts, Cyril Richards describes missionaries meeting peoples who had already had a foundation laid by their ancestors and their elders to receive the gospel because of dreams and visions. Comparative religion works on our side. Comparative religion shows that they're all copies of the, wrong, of, of the original copy, and if it diverts from our original copy, then that makes it wrong. But many of them have kept those traditions, and they're in the right, believing in one God, a code of morals, sacrificing to that one God. And even some had dreams and visions that the God uh, that they served had a son that would come and be revealed to them through revelation and spoken word. Can I hear an amen? amen. It's up to you how you want to receive that. But I just want to be very honest with you, going back to John, it is clear that those who do not seek after God will never find Jesus. If your heart is open to the God of creation, Jesus will reveal himself to you. And then especially those who now hear of Jesus himself and that which Jesus has done upon the earth, when they desire to know him, Jesus will reveal himself to them, as we know Uh, from the scriptures that we'll get to later. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Verse 30, at this they tried to seize him and tickle him. They wanted to start a tickle fight with him. They had so much fun with poppy Jesus around. Jesus always got along with people. Hey, be more like Jesus, you street preacher. Okay, I'm preaching like he did. Are you ready to seize me yet? (laughs) I guess I'm not too much like him yet because you haven't wanted to seize me. But that's what they did with Jesus. This is our Lord and Savior. I cannot be any more Christ-like than Christ. If, Christ. if at the end of Christ's presentations or when he would share his truth, oftentimes the result was someone wanting to seize him, I ought to not think it's strange after I share my truth and people want to seize me. How many know in Chicago, if they could seize Christians, they would? I mean, if they could take us like the one cartoon and grab us by the legs and poof, 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 they would do that to us. Or oh, no, it's not the cartoon. It's in um, Avengers when the Hulk takes Loki. Poof poof, 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 And that's what Jesus does to the devil. Amen? But if they could seize us, that's what they would, do. They would just, They would just take your property. You don't deserve it. If they could take your job, they would. If they could take your bank accounts, they would. But that's what they wanted to do to Jesus. Haters have been hating from day one. At this, they tried to seize him. They didn't want to debate. They didn't want to discuss. This is why people ask me all the time, well, why didn't Jesus, you know, do more miracles, walk on water for everybody, tell more historical facts about the past and history where he had been, and, you know, maybe pause the sun for a little bit, dial it down. This is why. Because men are wicked, What more does he owe them? He's literally telling them like in a rational conversation. Guys, the reason why you don't get me and understand me is because I come from my father. I know him. You don't really know him. And the thought that they get in their mind isn't, well, guys, let's go learn more about the father. The thought they get in their mind is, kill him. That's the thought. So do you really think at that moment, do you really think at that moment Jesus feels like putting on a magic show? hey guys, well, I know you want to kill me now because I've rationally told you to seek the Father, but let me pull a quarter from out of your ear. Oh, look at this, you had a quarter. And and that would be then how he would be known, by the way. He would be known as a performer. Jesus would be known as Chris Angel or David Blaine or one of these guys. See, Jesus was not just a miracle worker Jesus is the son of God in the flesh, acting like he owns the place because he does, and he's talking to people as if he were their judge because he is, and he's telling them the truth because he is the truth, and out of the own wickedness of their heart, they now want to kill him, but they could not lay a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Not only did people want to kill Jesus at the time of the crucifixion, they wanted to kill him all the time. If the Father did not give him supernatural protection, he would have died at any moment. His ministry would have been cut short. And so I want to say this to everyone here. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you trust the Lord with your life? Do not try to live a sheltered life. Live a wise life but do not try to live a sheltered life, for even the fearful die. I'm going to say that again. Do not try to live a sheltered life, for even cowards die. We're not coming out until COVID's gone. Okay, is it gone yet? Are we coming out? Now it's monkeypox, and let's see how much the homosexual community listens to the CDC now. The CDC is literally going to the homosexual community. "Uh, Hey, guys, if you could cut back on some of your sexual activity, that would be great right about now because you guys are uh, starting a whole epidemic among yourselves. And remember, they were some, the rainbow flag-waving folks were some of the most uh, you know, obnoxious to us about wearing masks. I want to see now if they'll listen to the CDC and stop having sex with other men. I'm, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. But you see, the world wants to appear like they're so virtuous. And yet, they're hypocrites. And yet, at any moment, they can kill the messenger to get away from the message. And the world would do that to us. The world would do that to us. Don't don't even wonder like, well, would they? Yes, they would. Just look at other nations where they can do it. Look at how they do it. Look at how they kill us. That's why I pray for them daily, daily. And it's a little sidetrack here. Yesterday, we were celebrating my son's fourth birthday, and we were praying for the food. And as I do, according to my custom, as the Lord has given me the grace to do so, I pray for the suffering church at every meal as often as I can. And I was thinking to myself after that prayer, how odd that must be to guests and those who do not know me. Hey, everybody, gather around. You know, the balloons are everywhere. People, you know, got face paint on, kids, you know, boogie nose, and, and, and they're dressed up like superheroes. And then here comes the prayer, and Lord, be with the underground church, those who suffer in your name. Give them your grace and your mercy. Let them know that they are loved. You have not left them. They will have power to overcome, and they will see you soon. Imagine hearing that if you were a guest. But then the Lord told me this. And the same thought, because, you know, we think back with the Lord, the same thought that I had, the Lord said, But imagine what they will say to you when they see you in heaven. Don't worry about the guest. Could you imagine what that would be like? I'm not trying to be anything great here. I'm just just being obedient. But could you imagine if I'm in heaven one day and and Jesus goes, Joe, come on. Come on over here. I want to introduce you to some people. I want to introduce you to some of those that were in the underground church in Iran. Remember that time at the birthday party? Remember it was sunny outside and everybody was enjoying life, and you took a moment to pray. They were in a cell of their own feces, moments from death. And when I heard that prayer, I came into that room, and I gave them the strength they needed to face death that day. Meet them now. Isn't that precious? I think about how important it is to be in tune with the Lord because you can miss him when he's standing right in front of you. You can, he's right in front of them, the Son of God. God made in the flesh to be like us, to, to take up our sorrows, to, to hear our, 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 our pains and to ease our burdens. I mean, he's right there and, and they're not getting it and they're believing wives' tales and they're somewhere between confused and stupid, dumb on purpose. And as he's trying to untangle the knot of their mind, their response is, seize him. And God thankfully says, this is not the time. It's not going to happen. So can I encourage you to live boldly and live a life of richness for God? We're all going to die someday. You don't need to hide in a bubble. It's going to happen. Live wisely and live boldly a rich life for Jesus. Still many in the crowd believed in him. Isn't that encouraging? So there's this you know, there's this contradiction always going on with this group. There's some that do, some that don't, even among the leaders as we're going to see. And so, Always make sure you're choosing the right side because you can just see the the, the relationships being tested there just just like as they were with us over something as simple as COVID and and vaccine shots and all of that. You can see how family relationships were tested, how much more so during that time. And and so it came at a cost to believe, but, but they did. And here was those who believed. Here was their response back to their friends, to their families who didn't believe. When the Messiah comes... Will he perform more signs than this man? I mean, if this is not our guy, who's the next one? Go with me to Isaiah 61, please. And that's pretty much what we should say to everybody, including our Jewish friends. Jewish people cannot get to heaven without Jesus, but they are the closest to him in many ways. And so we also believe prophecies apply to them, and we should pray shalom for Israel and Jerusalem. Amen? The Jewish people have been precious to God despite their failings, despite their hardness of heart. God still has a great plan for them. And you can see these Jewish people, these lovers of the Messiah in the presence of their friends in opposition, they ask the basic question, what else can the guy do to show us he's the Messiah? And when I talk to my Jewish friends, I say the same thing. It's been about 2,000 years since the destruction of your temple, and Daniel prophesied around about 400 years this thing would have to be wrapped up because that's when it would be destroyed, and sure enough, the temple's destroyed. So how do you give me or have another Messiah other than Jesus? Who are you putting on the table? Who else do you have? I mean, has anyone else came and did anything like Jesus? Not only did he keep all of the prophecies that have to do with revealing himself to them based on his location, his identity, and the works that he would do like we would read now, but he also kept his word by bringing Gentiles to him. Dr. Michael Brown, a Jewish believer, always talks about this when he debates Jews, that one of the promises that will be fulfilled when the Messiah comes is that he'll bring the nations to the God of Israel. Today there are billions of people worshiping the Jewish God, the Jewish God Man, on behalf of what the Lord has done for us. Amen. How many non-Jewish people here love the Jewish God of Israel? Amen. We're not serving our pagan gods. We're not serving the gods of our ancestors. We are serving the God of the uh, the Jews of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Mario, Tony, and you know whatever that Italian guy is. Now, you know, you think of most Italians now being Christians, but you get my point. They used to be pagans. I'm not serving the the God of the pizza pie. I'm not serving the God of uh, uh, the Italians here, the Greeks, the Romans. Oh, that's my, my wife. We're not serving Zeus. We're not serving Hercules. We're not serving Caesar. Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. That's why there is no Uh, male or female, Jew or Greek, we are all one in Christ, amen? So they brought up a great point. I think it's a great argument to still bring up to those who don't think the Messiah came. What else would you want Jesus to have done? Look at what it says he will do and what he actually did. Isaiah 61, one and onward, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Remember this in Luke 4, Jesus says this about himself. So let's stop right here. Was he anointed by the Holy Spirit? Yes, did John testify that he saw the dove come down upon him? Amen. Did he proclaim the good news to the poor? Was he kind to the poor? Yes, he was. It says here that he was sent to bind up the brokenhearted. Did he bind up the brokenhearted? Did he go to where the hurting were? As we'll get into John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery, was he there for them? Yes or no? Yes, he was. Did he proclaim freedom to the captives? Yes, those in captive to all kinds of sins and behaviors. Release from darkness for the prisoners. Did he talk about liberty and the year of the Lord's favor? Absolutely. Proclaim, uh, you know, uh, release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Did he talk about how God was going to come and judge? Yes, he did. And does he comfort all who mourn? Did he provide for those who grieve in Zion? Did he bestow on them the crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy, and so forth? Going back to John chapter 7, I love what those people say because sometimes the best arguments come from those who are not scholars, but just those who have common sense. Okay, I hear what you're saying. Uh, I, I get it, but I, who else is going to do more than this? <laughs> like we better take a moment to think about this because uh, uh, this guy's walked on water, he's fed us when there was about 10,000 of us. He's, he's healed a bunch of people. I know him. I've seen the healings happen. He's delivered old crazy one-eyed Willie over there at the tombs, you know, naked and running around. Yeah, man, that guy's back in his right mind. Also, you know, he's, he's been teaching us the things of God. It's not like he's introducing us to another God. He's very clear that that God is his father. Like, what else do we want from him? Thank God there were people like that. And honestly, I want to ask you that same question. What else do you want from God? I talk to people like this all the time. Like, oh, I just want more. I want more signs. I want this to prove. He died on the cross, rose again on the third day. Like, do you know anybody else doing that? Like, is there like so many people who have rose themselves from the dead that you're confused about which one of those to follow? Like, I don't know. You know, Tommy, you know, he died for my sins last week. He rose from the dead. I'm kind of thinking I'm going to go with him. Like, how many are doing that? They have statistically analyzed, that's why I said it was impossible to fake Jesus' life, they have statistically analyzed the possibility of Jesus even fulfilling like 30 of the 300 prophecies. You would have a better chance of winning the lottery like 10 times in a row than being Jesus. And things that Jesus would have no power over, like the Daniel prophecy of the 400 years the Messiah coming before the destruction of the temple, things that you can't just put a target around a shot that's already been fired. You have to have time on your side for that. Unless now we're inserting Jesus as a time-traveling alien. No, he's pretty much fulfilling things that are impossible. Anybody else like that? Like, and look at the best attempts, and I don't mean this personally, though I hate error, but I love people in error. I love Mormons, but I hate Mormonism, okay? I love Muslims, but I hate Islam. Have you seen the others who are like running for second and third in this? Have you seen or heard of Joseph Smith? He is a bumbling idiot compared to Jesus. He is an opportunist taking parts of the Masonic Lodge, incorporating it into Christianity and a little bit of Lord of the Rings fiction that has never been proven true in any archaeology and then claiming to have met an angel. Muhammad was a pedophile warlord that was demonized, having himself the confession that he wanted to throw himself off a cliff multiple times after he encountered, quote-unquote, the angel Gabriel. No, it sounds like you met a demon that cross-dressed like Gabriel and made you suicidal, And these seizures and fits and ringing in the ear as he would describe how he got revelation followed him the rest of his life. Have you ever even studied these other religions? Please, my friends, what else do you want the Messiah to do for you? Rose from the dead. That settles it. I'm with that guy. I'm following him. There's no one else like him. No one else in our culture has done that. Well, I can make up a story. Yes, you could make up a story, but this is based on historical fact. If you want to now put this in mytho- you know, mythological categories, we'll destroy that idea as well. But I'm just talking here to religious people that believe in religious texts, that believe that things actually happen on earth that we would call miracles. Can you think of a greater one? Not even Mus- uh, Muslims believe Muhammad was raised from the dead. Not even Mormons and so forth believe that Jehovah, uh, uh, that uh, Joseph Smith was raised from the dead. And yet people want to say that they still don't believe because they don't have enough evidence. It is not a heart. Uh, it's not a head problem. It is a heart problem. Is it not? What brought most of us to Christianity? Was it you having a candle in a library, 40 scrolls next to you? Now, what does this say in Latin? You know, like this is like um, National Treasure, the movie there with Nicolas Cage, you know. You're, you're holding up the candle to the light and there's a secret message there. No, most of us using common sense and uh, experience with God are now here. And since being a Christian, has anything shook you rationally out of Christianity? I mean, I'm sure you've seen enough of the National Geographic specials or History Channel specials during Easter time to, you know, make you nauseous. But has it, has it really drawn you out? No. So why is there a great apostasy going on in Christianity, even in the culture we live in right now? Is it because they've really found something that's so amazing and that if we all knew it, we would leave Christianity? No, it's the exact opposite. We have become dumb on purpose in this culture. And I think the simple answer, like I could hear my mom saying this. I could hear, I could hear everyone here kind of saying this in arguments with those people from the History Channel. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but uh, who else can compare to my Jesus? <laughs> just, just, just tell me what, which one does. Are we, are, are we going to go to Thor now? Are we going to go to make-believe? Like where are you going to now put something here in place of Jesus? Where are we going with this? Are, are we gonna talk about world leaders? We're we gonna to go to Gandhi? Like, where are we going here? Because he, here's where I want to start. He rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, was seen by 500. His followers then were put to death, believing in his resurrection. The words that he spoke to them were written down and handed down by the blood of the martyrs for 300 years until the Roman emperor hit his knees and made it a Christian nation. I believe in that one, but I've also met him. Have you? I've met him and that's what we're getting to today. Look at your neighbor and say we're just in the introduction. We got to verse 52 to go, but we're getting there, amen. We're getting there. Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowds whispering. So now they get involved. Remember, it's not you you can't just always say he's mad at the leaders or there's an issue with the leaders. No, it's also the people, too, okay? So the people were doing all that on their own. Now the Pharisees, who heard the crowd whispering about such things, then The chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to go arrest him. So the crowd wants to seize him, and that's not going down. And so the Pharisees are like, what's going on? Guards, go get him. Now Jesus says to them, I am with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now think about that. Jesus is acting as if he came from another world and is going back to that other world. When we talk about aliens, I believe in them. I just believe they go by different names in the Bible. One of them was called the Son of God. He was alien to this world, but he came in the flesh. Another group of them are called demons, fallen angels. And they would like nothing more for them to inhabit your body and body snatch you. And to probe you, are you listening? People are like, I was probed by an alien. No, you were probed by a demon, friend. Let's try this. Bring bring that alien over here for your next probing when I'm around. Call over that demon for the next probing. And when I say, in the name of Jesus, see what happens. This is not just my testimony. This is the testimony of those in that New Age movement. As a matter of fact, there was a man, and I can't remember, but he would have the radio show that would go on late at night and talk about aliens and these things. And people would always tell in their stories if they came from a Christian background, and when they spoke the name of Jesus, it changed the demeanor and the action of those supposed aliens. It was known even in the New Age culture that when you dabbled with them, if you brought up Jesus, it was definitely a game changer. Jesus is talking like he comes from another world. Let's see how they take him. Verse 35, the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go to where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, which should be Gentiles there? The word Greek can also be translated Gentiles. They would speak about all non-Jewish people as Greeks. King James, I believe, does better there. So is he going to go among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? I've already read to you Daniel 7. What do you think he meant, Baba? He has been telling you chapter after chapter. We are in chapter 7. He has explained it over and over and over again. That's why I love at verse 37. It just goes on to a whole nother conversation. Sometimes you need to send people to the block party on Facebook. You do not need to keep giving your pearls to swine and that which is precious to dogs. If you've said it once, twice, move on, baby. Give them the gift of goodbye. Jesus is done. I just love my Jesus. He doesn't say, now guys, let me explain it for the 340th time so you can get it and want to kill me even more after this. They, the Pharisees, are confused on purpose at this time. This is not the God seeker, humble in heart, learning, open to understanding, and when somebody says, do you have an open mind? Yes, but not so it can fall out. I have a foundation. What are you wanting me to be open about? That, I, you know, that you're a woman trapped in a man's body? I'm not open to that. I'm open to what biology says about that, not your fantasies, not what you make up in your mind, right? Come on, somebody. So when, when people act like they don't get it, can you bring them to scriptures like this and say, the reason why you don't get it is because you're not listening to understand. When I'm in a debate with people, oftentimes I ask them, "Did you hear me?" and "Do you understand?" I can know that they didn't to the answer to that question, if the answer to that question is "bup,,,,," you didn't even understand that question. I didn't ask you if you agreed. I did not ask you if you agree. I asked you, did you listen and understand what I said? Did you hear it? And could you repeat it back to me if I paid you $100 to convince me you understood my position? That's why when I discuss other religions up here, I do not do so as a religious bigot, acting as if I'm better than them, purposely misrepresenting them to make them look suspicious. And evil to you. I am representing them correctly and adequately by their own words, by their own documents. When Jared and I went to Nauvoo to see the temples and the stories of uh, the Mormon church there, I asked Jared to take pictures of the temple and then to show me where those pictures were before the time of Joseph Smith. And they were on messianic temples messianic lodges. Mormons used to take death vows in their secret temple ceremonies and only stopped when people started bringing in phones. You see what I'm saying here? I am not purposely trying to make them look bad. When I tell you that Muhammad was a pedophile, pedophilia has a definition in our culture, to have sex with a minor. And of course, it's against their will. Aisha was six years old when she was given to Muhammad, and nine years old when the marriage was consummated with sex. He was in his fifties. By definition, not by simple disparagement, not by mockery, by definition, is this man a pedophile? Yes. So now when it comes to our God, when it comes to how we serve the God of the Bible, are we intimidated by people bringing up their own weird ideas and questions? Not at all. But do you want to listen and understand? Do you want to listen and understand? Jesus had been explaining to them, he came from the Father. It was supposed to be obvious to where he was going. And then they'll say it later on. And they still won't get it. And they'll guess what they'll want to do when they don't get it? Guess what they want to do? Take him out for lunch? Guess what the Jews are going to want to do when they don't understand him the next time he goes into depth with them? Yeah, they're going to want to kill him. It's not open up the Bible, oh, now I get it. Let's go to, no. They're going to want to kill him. Is it, is it any wonder that in our culture when we debate things on the matter of truth, one of people's response is, let's kill them. Let's seize them. Let's hope they all get the disease that we're all afraid of and they die and we don't help them, right? See, this kind of tactic has been around for a long time. Do not be intimidated by people who have like as one of their options as settling the argument is killing you. Don't be thrown off by that. That's what's happening around the world approximately to 50,000 to 100,000 because we don't know all the numbers in Sudan. We don't know all the numbers in Iran. We don't know all the uh, the numbers in, in these different nations. What they're doing to our Christian brothers and sisters right now, they're not lawbreakers. They're not hurting anyone, but they are torturing them. They are killing them because they don't want to listen and understand the gospel. The gospel is simple. Jesus Christ came to die for sinners and who we are the worst. We've all been like sheep led astray. And he was seen among men crucified on that cross, buried and rose again. And it's that message that we have faith in. And by having faith in the person of that message, we are saved by grace, not by our own works that we should boast. That's the message. And so anyone that contradicts that message and says they are a prophet or receiving revelation, by definition, are listening to a different spirit. And Jesus said these would be the signs of our end times. This would increase. Now look at verse 37, which I love. It just goes on, and now Jesus is going to bless us. Somebody say he's going to bless us. I'm not thinking about the crowd anymore, the confused crowd. I'm not thinking about the Pharisees causing trouble. Look at what my Jesus does. Somebody say, my Jesus. Amen. On the last and greatest day of the festival, the Feast of Booths, the celebration of God taking the Israelites out of the desert when they lived in tents into the Promised Land. This day they would bring libation, water offerings to the altar, pour it there into such large amounts that it would go from the altar down the steps of the temple out into the courtyard. There is water being poured out. It's like a fountain. They're bringing gallons of it and they're pouring it out and they're showing that water is going to come from the throne room of God Oh, come on, somebody. Go to Revelation chapter 22. It's also in Isaiah. We'll go there in just a moment. But let me just show you what they're doing a picture of right here. They're doing a picture of what heaven looks like, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. And like I said, this goes all the way back to the prophets. As clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. There are not two thrones. The Father and Son share the same throne. And from that throne comes the Holy Spirit. Don't let people try to confuse you with how many thrones there are in heaven. There is one, and the Father shares it with the Son, and from that throne proceeds the Holy Spirit down the middle of that great street of the city, going back to John. Look at now what's happening here. They're pouring out the water, and what are they saying? They're saying Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 and on. Let's go there quickly, and then I'll read that again because I want you to see the picture that's happening here. But Let me give some commentary. In that day you will say, and this is what I believe, Revelation 22, so when it's all uh, brought to a culmination and we're in the new heavenly Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen. But here Jesus is going to give them a taste of it in the natural world while they're pouring out that water. But this was their prophecy. They were to expect this to happen, okay? I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. How many can say amen to that? How many know God's been angry at you before? Amen? Don't act like that. Come on. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Woo, come on, somebody. Where did Jesus meet that woman in John chapter 4? By the well. And he said that if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. Going back to John chapter 7, Jesus staying with that same theme. On the last and greatest day of the festival, he stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come just to the Father, just come to church, no, he takes the divine prerogative of the Yahweh speaking in Isaiah 12. He says, Whoever is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. <laughs> Hallelujah. By this, he meant the spirit. Whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that point, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 verse 21. We'll see at the end of the gospel of John how Jesus concludes his ministry with them. Remember he talked about being born again. He talked about that with Nicodemus, and he's talking about this uh, thirst being quenched with the woman at the well, and then here now, he describes that he's going to give them spirit where the spirit will come rivers within them. Notice here, at the end of the, the life of Jesus, his earthly ministry, now he is resurrected after the crucifixion. He says in verse 21, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, and with that, he breathed on them and said, what? Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, before you go and do the Benny Hinn hot Cheeto breath on people, whoo, all y'all receive the Holy Spirit. Whoo, you got it? No, we, we don't have it. We have whatever you gave us, though. And I don't think it was holy. Now I'm about ready to cough, amen. Lord, help me. See, you're messing with touching the Lord's anointing. And that's why you're coughing. No, I'm not superstitious around here. Yes, you could breathe on people and try to do it that way, but that's not what's going on here. In the book of Genesis, the Bible says that he breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. Before that, Adam was a sandman. Before the breath of God came into Adam, Adam was just a sandman. From the beginning of John to the end of John, we are told that the one who's been doing all of the creating, the one who's been walking and talking with us, is right here with us now. That's been Jesus. Jesus was Yahweh in the garden. Jesus was the one meeting with Abraham before Abraham was ego with me. I've been there, I am. He was the one that was given the prophets the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me. We now know that wasn't a Bible with wings like Sesame Street coming down to talk off the pages. In the beginning was the word, the logos of God, and he was with God and was God, and the word became flesh. And so at the end of John, we see the culmination of the spirit being given in that same way. Here is our creator now recreating Being born again, giving us new life. Amen. John chapter 7, he said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Go to Isaiah chapter 41 verse 17. The only one pouring out the water of the Spirit in the Bible is God himself. There is no prophet given permission to contain the river and pour out the river. This alone would be evidence to anyone listening. He is making himself out to be God. He is the one saying, I turn on the faucet of the Spirit. The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the angel, will answer them. See, Jehovah's Witnesses say they only worship the Father as Jehovah, that Jesus is an angel. But Jesus said, he's the one who gives out the water. Did he not in John 7? And does not now the prophecy say that I, Jehovah, will answer them? So Jehovah must be a name shared by multiple persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like Rostic is shared by multiple persons. Are you listening? God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake the needy, those whose tongues are parched. I will make rivers flow on the barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the deserts into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. That's what Jesus does. Hallelujah. How many of you have been parched in your souls? How many of you have been so thirsty and you go to the world for drink and yet it's just like in the cartoons a Mirage and you're putting more sand into your mouth instead of water? How many Mirages have you gone to to quench your thirst but only come out more thirsty? Can I get an amen from someone that knows what it's like to be thirsty? Someone who knows what it's like to be poor in spirit. Having no water to quench your thirst. When I was losing weight, I got obsessed with working out early in the mornings and not eating till my workout was done. I lost about 50 or 60 pounds, but then I ran into a little bit of a brick wall. My body got used to the amount of exercise I was doing. So I started pushing it further. And pushing it further before I would eat my first meal. I started riding my bike 30 miles, no water, no food, and began to see stars on that bicycle. Can I hear an amen if you think you would have saw stars? There was one day, it was so hot, I couldn't hold on to my handlebars anymore like it was yesterday. I was dripping so much. You can ask my wife this. And I almost fell off my bike. And I had water there just in case, and I had to take it. I cannot tell you in words what that water felt like the moment it touched my tongue. I can't even put it in words. Have you ever been that thirsty? Have you ever been to the point where you feel spiritually like if Jesus doesn't come, you can't move at all? When I came to Christ, I just want to be honest with you here. My story may not be your story. I came to Christ within inches of what felt like my death. I might have lived on a good life, who knows? I might have became a pilot or something like that or whatever. but I knew at that moment if I didn't get life I would be lost forever. There was something so dramatic November 5th, 1995 that when I read a scripture like this that says they search for water go up a little bit to verse 17 please that they search And they find none. Like the man that was in hell saying, tell Lazarus just to dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue. And they find none. I can say amen to that. And their tongues are parched. But oh, what a day when that fountain turned on. Oh, what a day when Jesus came like water to my soul. Is there anybody here that's taken a drink of the living water of Jesus Christ and your soul has been satisfied and now it feels like there's rivers, hallelujah, of the Holy Spirit. That every day when you come to those places of stress and you come to those places of despair, I would rather go through a hundred tests as a Christian and know I can jump in the river of God than to ever go through one good day of a sinner and not have the river. I said, I would rather go through all the tests of a Christian and know I can lap in as much as I want than to have the best day of a sinner living in drought. The best day of a sinner is in drought. But the worst day of a Christian, you're in the pool of God. As deep as you want to go, as much as you need, That's why when you see Christians go to funerals, they don't go the same way as unbelievers. That's why when you see a Christian have cancer, they don't take it the same way as an unbeliever. That's why when you see people go through the troubles of this world as a Christian, they're going through it on the rivers of God, being carried by the current of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that we will not have problems or trials and tests, but he will deliver us from them all, and through them all, he will be with us, graciously giving us his power and his presence. Going back to John quickly now in closing, Daryl, would you come, please? Up until that point, the Holy Spirit had not been poured out. Since the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So for those who are here today, before I go into the historical narrative to close out this passage, let me give the altar call and what I'll be talking about as we dismiss in prayer, that if you are here today and you do not have salvation, you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are parched, Jesus bids you to come. He wants to fill you. He wants to give you all the good that you need. And then if you are saved, and you would say, I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, let those rivers flow through you by the baptism of the Holy Spirit because we see those same disciples in John who had the Spirit given to them for regeneration then received the baptism in Acts chapter 2. I do not believe those are contradictory accounts. I believe they literally received regeneration that day when Jesus breathed on them, and then Acts t- takes a, a starts off with Jesus taking on off to heaven and then sending the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And notice in Acts 1 and 2, nothing of the Holy Spirit's function in those passages is about regeneration. It's you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And when the Holy Spirit came on them, they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It doesn't say they got born again and stopped, you know, doing bad things and got saved. No, that happened the day Jesus breathed on them. They were regenerated, able to live holy in the righteousness of Christ. It was in Acts chapter 2 that there was that second work of the Spirit. So can you go to heaven without speaking in other tongues and being baptized in the Spirit? Absolutely. You can be regenerated and go to heaven. It just won't be as much fun. It's fun having the power of the Holy Spirit, whooping on the devil, being his evangelist and his, uh, his martyrs, his witnesses. Amen? Even to give our lives for him. Go on to Verse 40. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. That's referring to Deuteronomy, where Moses said, a prophet like me will be raised up. It wasn't Joshua, and it was none of the ones that came afterward. That was a prophecy of the Messiah. And others said, he is the Messiah. Praise God. They were right. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? They're still confused. And there's so much going on. Remember, we started there. That's kind of where we're ending today. There They're confused, but there's a right answer there. Just because there's confusion, don't stay in confusion. Get the right answer. He's the Messiah, amen? Does not Scripture say the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Yeah. Well, ask him. If you're the Messiah, did you come from Bethlehem? He would have told you, yeah, that's where I came from, and then my family moved to Nazareth. He would have told them. How do you think the disciples knew? How do you think Matthew knew? Matthew was not there when he was born. Matthew came later, so how do you think? They knew because they studied with him. You can't just ask questions without seeking the answer. And then lastly, these guys, and then there was some, uh, verse 43, Then the people were just divided because of Jesus, and then some, they just wanted to seize him. (laughs) So it's like there's all this debate and rationality going on, and then there's these other guys over here. I just want to kill him. can't get over that. There's just a thought, I I just want to kill him. Let me tell you where that thought's coming from. It's coming from the devil. You know, people tell us all the time, I just hate you so much. You know, let me tell you why you hate me. Because you don't even know me well enough to really hate me. You hate what I represent. You hate Jesus. And the devil, the one you're serving, that's where you're getting all that hate from. Some wanted to seize him, but no one would lay a hand on him. Verse 45, finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring them in? And then look at what they say. No one ever spoke the way this man does. I love the way the guards reply. And remember in John 6 where the Catholics tried to say we're going to eat literally Jesus' body and blood? What did we say the body and blood of Jesus represented there? His word. That came by his spirit. These words I speak to you, they are spirit and they give life. The flesh counts for nothing, including what we just ate right here. If you don't have the word of God, everything you ate here counts for nothing. And then what did Peter say in response to that? When he said, do you want to go? Because the crowds were leaving him. Peter then said in response to that, where else can we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Notice the theme of John. He is the word. He wants you to eat the word. He wants you to dip into the word like a river. He wants you to have his presence through the word and the guards come back saying no one ever spoke the words or the way this man does and then they say have you been deceived also they report uh, retorted has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him no but this mob that knows nothing of the law they believe some of them are believing but there's a curse on them now look at verse 50 Nicodemus who had gone to Jesus earlier who was one of their own number asked does our own law condemn a man without first hearing him To find out what he's been doing. So Nicodemus is there representing Christ. Verse 52, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. They were right. But where did he come out of? Bethlehem and Nazareth. Can we give it up for Jesus today? Would you stand up with me please? Altar workers band, would you come? Thank you, Lord. Amen. We're going to close in prayer. For those who need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, please come find a prayer worker today. If you want to be saved, we'll help lead you in a prayer of salvation, of repentance to God. But let's just pray now because you can do it even where you're seated. Father, I thank you for everyone coming to first service. I pray that you bless them, fill them with your spirit. If anyone is thirsty today and has not yet been filled, may they be filled before they go. Lord, I pray that they'll see how good you are, that you love them and you have a plan for them. And for the rest of us who have been saved and filled with your spirit, Lord, I pray that we'll get in those rivers more and more and more and more every day. That we'll let those rivers flow on our jobs to our families, to our friends, to our enemies, and to our frenemies. Lord, make us a spout where the glory comes out. Hallelujah. I am a teapot, this is my spout. When I get to preaching, the glory comes out. One more time. I am a teapot, my mouth is the spout. When I get to preaching God's word, the glory comes out. I pray glory over this city through the preaching of the word. I pray that the glory of God will be seen in your families as you preach the word, husbands and wives, to your children, to your children's children. I pray as we leave this place, the glory comes out as we preach because there's rivers, there's rivers. Father, send us from this place, but never from your presence to bring people to those rivers. As you begin to come for prayer, can someone say amen? Amen. You are dismissed. The rest can pray and worship. Have a wonderful day, a wonderful week. We're going to ask that you would go through the side. The band is going to worship. Feel free to come on up for anything. Prayers of healing, deliverance. Otherwise, God bless you. Thank you.